Okay, Rawdon, we've got uh, we've got some explaining to do. Um, one, what is the noise in the background? And two, oh, yes. where have we been and what the hell is going on? Well, Tom, where haven't we been? Is uh, That'll be a, a, an easier answer. But yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. Let's just say it's exciting. But there's some bad news with the uh, Millennium Noggin. The lab's loud, isn't it? It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of lab-like bubbling. noises. Yes, so the Millennium Noggin is grounded and we're back with the white lab coats on mm-hmm. where it all began. Under the Bar podcast, here we are once again. Tom mm. Hewitt is my name. With me is Rawdon Dubois. You can call me now, officially, you can call me Professor Dubious again. Professor Dubious. I will um, reinstate the witch doctor Hewitt. Yes, and for good reason. Lab coats on. So, mate, basically, COVID-19 happened. We we sort of fluffed around with the Zooming for a little while, but yeah. it's just not quite the same no. as, as being in a in a recording space. Mm. Unfortunately, the Millennium Noggin has been grounded. Until further notice, yeah. But basically, it was up for rego, yeah. and um, I had to, uh, well, actually, I forgot to register it, Tommy. So it's been unregistered for a little while. Anyone that does own a vehicle knows that you then have to get a blue slip, and then, uh, yeah, mate, it was so many things that have to be uh, fixed on it. That, to be honest, I don't know how it was actually flying, but um, but needless to say, it's been grounded until yeah. further notice. Basically, a write off. Right, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, she we served may, we may, us well. She served us well. We may do a, a GoFundMe uh, to you know to uh, fix up the Millennium Noggin, but until then, yeah, it's basically we're out of the Noggin and into uh, a legitimate. Uh, uh, well, a lab, science lab. Mm. We're down here with. I mean, you hear all those bubbles and stuff. That's right. I yeah, mean, you're legit. You're cooking. You're you're working on something. Yeah. Let me just get a little beak here. Yeah, there we Ooh, go. Yeah. Let me just just get a little. That's ah, that so wasn't authentic. a glass of that wasn't a glass of water, Tom. That no. was actually a bit of uh, hydrochloric acid going in there. I'm just going <laughs> to clean my uh, fingernails. Just give them a bit of a once over. Then I'll. Uh, uh, repaint the nails, but um, but yeah, very exciting times. Figured it was time for a change, so um, here we are. And the other thing about us, which I'm sure the uh, the long time mm. under the bar listener will know, mm. is that everything has to happen from a place of organicism. Organicism, and, yes. you know, if it's if it's not word of the day, if it's not flowing and organic, then it just mm. doesn't get done for us. And yeah, if so, it's not a heavy flow, exactly. Yeah. Okay. It feels good, and truth be told, we did uh, the Zoom call. Yes. We uh, tried to do what everyone else seems to be doing on the planet, and that is a, a podcast with the iPhone and uh, a couple of head, headsets. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, each their own, but uh, didn't cut it in the cafe. We tried to emulate what we had mm. uh, when the noggin was had the top open and we had the, the cafe there in the, in the hangar. But um, it wasn't us. We need a little bit more of a process for our podcast. So here we are in a legitimate studio, uh, I mean lab. Uh, yeah, very exciting to be to be back in full force. Okay, mate. So what we've got coming up over the next few episodes, mm. we've got uh, a series of... Uh, yeah, we have been busy. ...really good guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some great content to share with the guys, and we'll have a listen to a, some, some little snippets and teasers mm. of a few bits and pieces. We'll dangle the carrot. Absolutely. Dangle Dangling carrot. carrots. It's been yes. a while since we've done that. Yeah. yeah. Dangling. Dangling carrots and wizard sleeves. They're making a comeback. <laughs> and the and dangleberries. And if anyone thinks we should have... Yeah, the dangleberries. Exactly. Yeah. 
everyone thinks we should have some T-shirts made up, feel free to let us know. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Dave O'Brien based... Oh, 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 O'Brien. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Uh, that's deep in the subconscious, mate. Mm. That's, that's exactly that just came how, out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, exactly how advertising works. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dave O'Brien, who uh, has been based for a large time at 5EW Melbourne, Fifth yep. Element Wellness. Uh, we've got a two-part series two. with Dave, and basically he's put together a really comprehensive mm. gut repair protocol. It's called all the bells and whistles. All the bells and whistles, <laughs> periodized training. A gatling gun of bells and whistles. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so we'll be going through uh, two episodes of that with Dave, yep. and he'll take us through the five stages of that gut repair process. So we've mm-hmm. got uh, Dave O'Brien coming up. After that, we have Dalton Frank. Now, we did a three-part series with Dalton. Now, Dalton, mm-hmm. based in Brisbane, used mm-hmm. to work uh, with the guys at Flex, Flex Success. We've partnership brought Brods out. Yeah, absolutely. Dean and Lizzie up there at Flex, mm-hmm. and uh, Dalton was a big part of their team. He's yep. now uh, spread his wings and, and off uh, doing... Spread uh, Screaming Eagle-like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Spread his wings and doing great things in the mm-hmm. industry, and we've got a, a three-part series, and he's actually got, I think it's maybe a 15-step process mm-hmm. that he goes through, this layering process of... Mm-hmm. Um, affecting behavior change yep. for general population clients looking for fat loss and, mm. and enhancing body composition. And yeah. Dalton reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Broderick Chavez, obviously the evil genius, in that you can chuck anything at him um. and he's got a uh, he's got like a quirky mm. uh, research paper mm, or a tidbit mm, mm, or a bit of mm. general knowledge that really slots you can take a tangent on things. Mm. Unlike us, we've got a very limited skill set. Very one-dimensional. Very one-dimensional. Definitely not 3D, but yeah, he's. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure having him. Uh, that was Zoom called, but yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun. Good, Really good cat. And, and like we've said, and uh, hey, they started here. This is where we uh, develop a, a lot of the big names in the industry, but... Uh, he look. He's already well and truly climbing that ladder to, uh, you know, that notoriety in the industry, and um, it was great to um, get our claws on him at the start, so uh, people can remember that it was us that made him who he is. But, but <laughs> That's no, our it strategy. It was absolutely awesome. He's yeah. a, our listeners. If you don't know anything about Dalton, you're thoroughly going to enjoy that uh, three parter, and yeah. Touch of the Gatling guns too with uh, with Dalton. You, oh, yeah. you wind him up and let him go. He will uh, <laughs> yeah, he will spray you with uh, you know uh, with a lot of information. And then uh, we just thought you know it's been too long since mm, having Broads too long between drinks back on the airwaves. So Broderick Chavez, the evil genius. We've got um, something that we've done with him in a lot of the seminars that we've mm. partnered with Broads is he's got his Post-it Note Nutrition. Yep. It's a very very straightforward, understandable way of designing a nutrition plan, Mm. very systematic, a very top-down method. And um, basically, we've done it in seminars, and we thought we may as well bring this content to uh, the wider under-the-bar audience. So Brods is coming on to take us through, uh, it's basically a PowerPoint Mm. of uh, how he constructs a diet. But also, Tommy, uh, you will, when you first cast eyes over it, said, oh, this has been tweaked. It's got uh, a few more bells and whistles. So Mm. yes, still post-it notes, super simple. But he's actually put a bit more pen to paper, and it's uh, it's pretty comprehensive now. It's it's very good. He seemed to like all the vegetable choices, and how do you pick that? That this is fiber taken into consideration. So he tackles all those things with this latest uh, post-it note style um, overview of nutrition and how he does all that. 
Yeah. So, a lot of good content coming up in the weeks to ensue, Rawdon. Yep. We can't just have an episode with you and I waffering on, no. otherwise we'll lose no. what little audience we do have. Yes. So we better play some content just mm. to dangle those carrots mm. as we suggested. So um, we'll go to a grab from Dave O'Brien talking about his uh, blood work and how mm. he um, he's built some really interesting correlations between symptomology, blood analysis, stool analysis, and gut health overall. Very interesting. Mm stuff so we'll hear from dave and we'll come back and have a bit of a chat about it i'm just driven to help people and that's probably why i've gone further and further down the rabbit hole when it comes to you know looking at blood markers and i look at blood markers completely different to how a naturopath or you know a, a doctor is going to look at it and, and and that includes you know developing my own correlations that will actually bring out fundamentally the real problems that are going on in, in, in people's blood markers. And a lot of those correlations actually do relate to things like poor digestive health. Okay. So, you know, like picking out serious problems like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, things like hyperpermeability, the type of damage that you've actually got to the epithelium and the mucosal cells. Okay. Like these correlations are something that I'm really you know, proud of developing and like in terms of really picking up what's internally going on with, with people, it's, it's been, it's been a game changer, not, not just for me, but obviously for the people that I'm dealing with as well. Yeah. Okay. And that, and that came about from actually just using blood markers and then correlating that with stool testing, yep. correlating it with things like gene testing. Okay. And just cause at the end of the day, people might look at that and go, well, this is stool testing. This is blood testing. You go, you know, we've got these are separate things. I go, no, they're exactly the same. Yeah, like at the end of the day, like it's telling me we're just dealing with bio. Same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah, okay. It's just and so whatever I'm picking up at the blood markers, okay, like you know, that's gonna be a correlation to what's essentially going on with your digestive system as well. So just to give that one a little bit of context, Rawdon, before I let you loose. Uh, I, was, I was just getting sprayed. I was I was running away from the the, the guys in Predator and uh, with my glimmering eyes and it was mowing me down there. But uh, yeah, shoot, go for it. Um, to put that in context, at the start of this interview, he did explain his roots with Poliquin and where it all got ah, started yes, from it, him. And I, and I think that might help the listener understand where he what got him on the path to functional medicine and interpreting mm. uh, blood analysis and stuff in that fashion was a lot of the time that he had, had spent well the inspiration from mm. biosignature through mm. charles and then going off to do f- further studies on his own to get him to the point where he is mm. but as i understand it rawdon he's actually putting some of those correlations and the knowledge mm. and the data that he's accumulated over a long period of time into a software program into the data into the data into the data yeah yeah <laughs> he um is very uh I, I've since uh, spoken to him about that and um, very, uh, very excited about launching that as well. But uh, a bit of, a bit of an, uh, an idiot's, uh, or, you know, the, the book's The Idiot's Guide to whatever. I think mm. it's almost going to be like that. It's Idiot's Guide to uh, Understanding Blood Work and uh, get the software, punch in all the numbers, and it'll tell you what, uh, not necessarily um, 
uh, like give you options of this type of nutrition, I think, and this type of training. These are the potential issues that could be, um, and maybe even prompt other blood markers to be checked or maybe a snorl analysis or some other sort of pathology work. But but really, I think something that uh, people have spoken about, it'd be great if we could, if we could you know, get something like that where we just get it, punch the numbers in, and it uh, gives us a few options. So I think he's actually put pen to paper and created that. Um, so yeah, very, very exciting there. But uh, interesting that, um, that yeah, he, <laughs> you and I have also done BioSig, truth be told. And mm. uh, we thought we were some of the pioneers back in the day, but I think his was actually before uh, Dane and uh, Mitchell and uh, or, or even sort of around that time when the you know some of the great names in the industry were, were actually doing and it was really a lot of voodoo and the, this, this 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 mythical what's this this biosignature modulation and uh, he did it back then and unlike you and I and many others that got deterred from you know pursuing that in any way shape or form it's like my god this is so complicated I know nothing mm. he took it upon himself to have that same thought process initially i'm going to find out stuff i want yeah. to learn this is fascinating to me and and i guess you know um talking to the lights of uh, and you've dealt with andre benoit and uh some of those uh bigger uh names associated with poliquin and um even through uh discussions with him i think the biosig back in the day it was actually and remember the demographic that he Charles was dealing with, with with athletes. I think the the actual correlations between the the biosig and what was actually happening on the blood work physiologically was actually reasonably accurate. Mm. Don't know if it is so much these days, but um, but uh, certainly from what Andre had said, they would do the biosig, run bloods, and it's like, oh my god, if this guy does have high insulin issues or fasting glucose is high and he's super and backs. Uh, and for those listeners that haven't done biosignature, basically, yeah, there's a, a series of uh, sites on the body that should correlate to, um, I guess, physiological changes within the body or issues. And mm. uh, you can sort of use it to program nutrition and, and that type of stuff and, and training potentially for some of these individuals. But but so it's almost like a... a you know, not just leaving it down to uh, skin folds, which has its place, and and I'm not here to discuss whether that's something that you or I acknowledge. But this is actual blood work. I mean, mm. it's, it's just, you've done the test. This is what the blood work says. So I think it would be uh, potentially far more definitive than um, than taking a skin fold measurement because it is actually black and white in front of you. These are the issues. Well, these are the things that are going on, are going on internally. Yeah. And with this information, it could, you know, mean this, this, and this. So. Yeah, pretty interesting, and and he actually ha has said that it's there's some degree of AI with it as well, where you know as you use the software and you enter various things in, it then stores that for that individual client, and then sort of it, it develops uh, artificial intelligence like, like an algorithm. Yeah, like you're, the information you're putting in is also influencing what will the software will uh, what do will, or say over time for mm. that particular. I think it's individual specific. specific. You start yeah. creating a, a you know profile of the individual. So very very exciting. I mean, it all sounds like voodoo magic, but um, the way he explains it, as the guys will hear when he, you actually hear the full interview in two parts, it's uh, it's a listen where you, you you might want to pause, rewind, get the pen out again, raise it, rub that bit out, put the put the bit that yeah. it was actually said, but uh, make a few notes or even listen to multiple times. I mean, fortunately. Unlike right at the second, we weren't talking too much in that interview, so it is pretty much all Dave. So you can actually listen to it over and over again, and and without a doubt, like his uh, knowledge of the of digestion and um, digestive function seems, at least from 
you know, uh, the, this interview was really next level. Mm. Like he has, um, I mean, it's funny, like, you know, people are put on this earth for various purposes. And, and I know this is something you toy around with from time to time. And I know you want to get on the mushies and, <laughs> and have that out-of-body experience. And go, ah, that's what I'm here for. Great. Then go back to your body and fulfill your yeah. meaning of life. But, uh, you know, his is maybe just that, the understanding, the, the physiology of the gut. And that's what drives him yeah. a bit internal Fair physiology. Cool. You know? cool. It's just his, it's what he's put on this earth to do. And, um yeah, I dare say he would probably acknowledge that he's still a far way away from knowing everything he thinks he needs to know to be uh, to be that authority on the gut. But um, but yeah, absolutely awesome and and a long time coming. Like yeah. uh, I think he's someone that we've been heading uh, the crosshairs for a little while. So you can look forward to that one, mate. Just on Idiot's Guide, we should do an Idiot's Guide mm. to Polywaffle. Oh, that's uh, really excellent. Maybe that's what we're here on this earth to do. Well, you and I both. Uh, well, look, in the overall scheme of things, we're good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think our listeners will say, "Yeah, you boys do. Uh huh. You tick. You boys polywaffle with the best of them." But I've seen what's out there in the industry, Tom, and I can assure you that we're a far cry from being the best at our craft. Yeah, uh, oh okay. my God! Yeah, you don't spend do. much time on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Uh, I, I unfortunately do. Fortunately slash unfortunately, fortunately for business, yeah, I'm on there. But I can assure you uh, that there is uh, it's uh, it's disease ridden. You know, you think COVID's shaking its fist out there and taking a few of us down. I can assure you, the polywaffleitis, uh, polywaffleitis. Uh, there's many, many that are infected, <laughs> and, and there's no cure, no antidote for that. Yeah, no, it just there's gets no worse. vaccine. It's terminal. It's terminal. It just goes downhill, <laughs> and you find yourself becoming more and more of an exaggeration, a caricature of what you once were. So. Yeah, look, we're good. Very Don't good. get me wrong, okay. but uh, there's okay. better. And we've got a lot to learn. Right, well, uh, Dalton Frank mm. is, um, from the outside looking in, if you didn't know what he was talking mm. about, you could easily accuse, you could go, him. accuse him of polywaffle. Mm. And You'd have to say, let me just uh, go to a testing centre, get the thing up the yeah. nose and just check to see if <laughs> yeah. you are infected, disease-ridden. But yes. no, he actually knows what he's talking about. It's legit, yeah, mm. so... Dalton, um, a very enjoyable mm. series of conversations that it we was. had with him because it was only had sort of small windows of time, so we did them over three sittings. Mm. And um, I think that relationship that developed mm. between the three of us over three sittings mm. uh, led to some good content. And mm. um, he's certainly uh, oh look, it was, I was I felt warm and fuzzy every time. It was it, it was lovely. Yeah, the three of us. And he's got, <laughs> he's got a. You know, a very inspiring life story as well, and uh, is yes. motivated for a variety of different reasons, which we won't necessarily discuss in the podcast. But I thought a good place to start with with Dalton is just very simply uh, on what he does with sleep, because um, yes. he's he spent a, a hot bit topic. of time, and it's a, and it is a hot topic. Mm. So um, we'll hear from Dalton, and uh, we can come back and have a chat about that. Sleep is a really easy one. I'm like, don't be on a device within 30 minutes of trying to get to sleep just because we're wired to like it's information it's energizing as much as it's got the blue light we're still discovering yes. how detrimental and stuff that is if it if it is or how detrimental we see some stuff but the the research is really new so it's hard to make definitive statements that it is or isn't bad but we know it's interruptive so having that in our face we know that traditionally through our circadian rhythm we wouldn't have exposure to light after dark anyway so that is a little bit interruptive with what goes on with our physiology so trying to not have something like a tv playing or a phone in your face and stuff like that probably not the worst idea 
having a light globally in your in your uh, room to read or something like that's probably not too bad of an idea because you can kind of you can get most people it's drowsy inducing doing that it's mentally tiring so that actually helps people kind of fall asleep a little bit faster um, but if not no no phone no book just trying to like pace themselves listen to their breathing and slow their body down helps induce sleep as well if you really want to you can have a high carb meal within 20 to 30 minutes before bed to get that serotonin yep. to feel really like elated you also get the shift in blood glucose levels which makes everyone else feel really good it's that like fullness feeling where you get drowsy after a high carb meal um so you can do those cooling the room down or cooling your like allowing your body to cool down is definitely one that helps out as well i've i don't even know what the technology is but i just got a pillow that holds no body heat so like i don't i used to get really bad like pillows and sweat all around the back of my neck and stuff like <clears throat> like that because i just run hot nothing like so this thing just like like all heat just gets uh, dissipated and it's amazing i do all of those things plus i just try and get people to be a little bit more mindful of their sleep routines and stuff like that so it's like yeah. go in and like pay attention trying to do this and find the amount of hours that works we have a range of about six to eight hours is like the health guidelines right but depending on where you wake up in whichever REM cycle you could be either like halfway through one when that happens, or you could be, you know, uh, just finish one a little bit earlier. Doesn't necessarily mean that you like have to ignore what your body's naturally doing and force yourself to go through the six hours and stuff like that. So I get people to test out from six hours all the way up to about nine and a half. And I'm like, we just keep a log and see where they feel better and how they felt throughout the day, how their hunger and stuff like that was. Cause we always captured hunger, energy scores and stuff. So as they go along, if their hunger is like through the roof, and they had you know a seven and a half hour sleep, but then they're eight and a half, their hunger's at zero, and they feel way more refreshed and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, we'll focus on eight and a half. That would be your key number and stuff like that. So kind of make that a non-negotiable in having that uh, the case. Well, there you go, Rodan. Like some very just fundamental things, but some interesting rationale behind it. Uh, and the research not yet conclusive on whether the light from the screens and TVs and things is legitimately disruptive to the circadian rhythm. But uh, certainly from a, a stimulation perspective, if you're talking about that Instagram stuff that we were talking about just mm. a second ago, that's probably mm. the, the worst thing you can oh, be doing yes. before you go to sleep. Yeah, you could, you, you, that, the head uh, would be boiling. It would be uh, very sweaty <laughs> yeah. as you're just like rolling their yeah. eyes around. These clouds Actually, on the Instagram, seriously. Yeah, it's funny, mate. I um, One of the things that I have been... Uh, focusing on sleep with lately and that just made me think of it there's a um an author from the 1950s 1920s and mm -hmm. 50s his name's neville goddard he writes a lot of you know interesting oh, Jeff sort of... goddard, Lord of the Ring. <laughs> no, maybe a relation neville goddard oh. maybe a relation a distant relation who knows yeah. jeff how are you um, going yes and so neville goddard one of his books uh, i read this uh, quote that always stood out to me and it was something like <laughs> um sleep the life that occupies one third of your stay on planet Earth, or something like that. And his perspective on sleep is, you know, it's a window into the, the subconscious mind and, and mm -hmm. what sort of emotional states you're holding internally. And the last thing you want to do is go to sleep in any sort of negative headspace. You want to enter the, the realm of, of sleep in a similar positive fashion as you might enter the day of wake you want mm. to start the day well and, and with positive energy you want to slip into the life of slumber in a positive state as it's that is the impressions that will be carried through carried the through the night and that you'll mm. wake with the next day mm. so touch of the old uh, grateful log maybe he could have just said just use a grateful log use the grateful Nev. log yeah good one Nev <laughs> bloody Goddard 
Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that that would be well and truly in line with. Uh, I mean, Charles was a big proponent of um, of the Grateful Log. I know you use it mm-hmm. with a lot of your clientele. Yeah. Uh, I did use it. Uh, I started just recently, actually, COVID time, I think, and I had it go. Then you know, it was about a week into it. Then it was like, oh, I'm too tired. Yeah, you know, put the mask, the CPAP mask on, and uh, and that was it. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one, sleep, and um, this uh, circadian rhythm that uh, that Dalton uh, mentioned and, and and you mentioned as well is is something that is relatively new. And there, I think the Nobel Peace Prize in two thousand seventeen was awarded to uh, I think a, a group of uh, scientists, but it was to do with the circadian rhythm, and um, they discovered that it, uh, basically all life on on planet Earth has a circadian rhythm, and this. Uh, uh, a 24-hour series of uh, uh, biological and physiological and behavioral things that happen in a 24-hour period, and it seems mm. to be independent of light. It just just ticks over, and some are not quite 24 hours; might be 23 hours. So they sort of, you know, the these uh, like mice, I think, have a 23 and a you know point seven. So you know, they stick them in a dark room, and they'll start. They'll always wake at the same time, but slowly it. It moves back and shifts back because it's only a twenty-three point seven. Yeah, by point three every day. Or yeah, yeah. so so it's exactly exactly the same time. Yes, duration of sleep, but it just shifts a little bit. So it's quite interesting. But they're it's still something that that they know don't know much about, and mm. they're, they're looking into it. But they do think that all disease is related to disruption in some way to disruption of this circadian rhythm mm. and uh, sleeping patterns and and disrupted sleep wake cycles and all that type of stuff. So it is something that is. Uh, I find absolutely fascinating and um, with what I've been looking into there seems to be also that uh, certain individuals will fall in and it could also be genetically so you get it from your parents but not necessarily it's like uh, with a lot of uh, uh, you know things that you develop from a hereditary sense you don't always necessarily get what your parents had but you can potentially get it if your parents have suffered from it but you can have actually from a genetic disposition there's different types of uh, uh, sleep-wake cycles, if you will, and, and people that uh, are known as larks, where they always get up early, and then there's owls, they're night owls, they go to bed late, they still sleep for the same duration, but because their work life might force uh, an owl mm. to wake up at 6 a.m., but they just never function at 6 a.m. It's just they're from a hereditary, from a genetic disposition, they just cannot go to bed at you know 7.30 a.m. like a... Uh, a lark can so a lark can they can get up at 6 a.m and they're sweet mm. so like from a uh, like a genetically driven it can be really challenging for so like they're almost you're better off getting them to come in to work at 11 a.m and work through to you know uh, 7 p.m and that you would get a much more productive yeah. uh employee but it's uh so it's hard mm. for a lot of people from you know, it's a bit like sometimes with nutrition and uh, some of us have far more insidious cravings and uh, urges than others. Just genetically, we're just wired a bit differently. So sometimes it's not as easy as we'll just go to bed at that time. So yeah. understand that, that, yes, absolutely, there's this circadian rhythm, but you also can be uh, sort of one way or the other. And then there's others that just fall in the middle, which you know a lot of people are, but you can actually... So, for example, if your parents, like if your mum always gets up at, you know, at uh, 5 a.m. in the morning, they get to bed, there's a good chance that you might actually function better on that type of sleeping pattern. Mm. So you need to think about that type of stuff. And also um, you can uh, shift it. So you can sort of... Uh, influence it through lifestyle choices yeah so being behavior. consistent like like what um, Dalton said so yeah mm. like 
certain behavioral changes and all those things that Dalton were talking about, you can sort of, uh, manu- I think, influence it back and forth. To a degree. And, yeah, and, and if you're, uh, like you can, from this was one particular research scientist was talking about it from, a, from an athlete perspective. So if you've got a big game, but you're a, a, an owl and your game is at, at 1 p.m. and, and you're, you don't peak your strength until 7 p.m. at night because you get up at 11 a.m. two mm. hours after you wake up, you're not at your peak strength. So they can, uh, you can have behavioral changes and you can entrain these and, and shift the, the body clock and the circadian rhythm a little. But, Interesting. Um, circadian rhythm, there's a, there's a master biological clock, then every cell, every cell. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that because you said every form of life has its own little built-in circadian rhythm. So mm. that would be, you know, from a single cellular life all the way up. Yeah, and, like bacteria, and, everything. Like yeah. a, a series of events that occur physiologically and biologically and mm. behaviorally yes. in a 24-hour period. Like, for example, like plants, uh, you know, flowers will come up at a certain time of, because they know that's when the, the bees are going to be floating past and they, you know, pollen and they, you know, they drop their seeds elsewhere and the plants keep growing, but then they close up at night so the, the owls don't come and whatever. Like whatever it's it is, all, yeah. Yeah, it's all nature is, uh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. A tapestry. Yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely fascinating. But, but uh, the, the main things I think are... A, you might be a, a certain disposition with, with sleeping, but also um, just being consistent and, and, and structured. And uh, I think when you vary all the times, it's really hard to A, know what type you are, but B, because it's it's all over the place. So again, it comes back to just being, I think, think structured and consistent. And yeah, I mean, I say seven to nine hours, but that six to eight, it's, it's, it's pretty close. And I think um, if you're falling between that seven to nine, fine. And if you're seven and a half is good, great. If you're still working up, you know, tired and groggy, and you don't feel refreshed, and then you know maybe you need eight, eight and a half. But um, but yeah, that's generally what I say between seven and nine hours. So that's just one little uh, pocket of detail from Dalton, mm. and there was uh, you know three episodes worth uh, so much stuff from Dalton. So mm. it'll be a, a real pleasure for the the UTB listener to sink their teeth into a couple of those episodes. So that's Dalton, and now mate, speaking of all of the biological stuff that Ooh, we were yes. just talking about, we probably should have had get Broderick a biologist on. on God yeah, get a biologist on here. So Brods is back, as we mentioned at the top, his post-it note nutrition, and what we're going to look at today is just a little section on protein and protein. Uh, some of his uh, rationale behind distributing protein amongst the diet and what numbers to use and what he works with. So we'll hear from Brods and we'll come back and expand. And the synopsis is every rational relevant study dials it down to between 1.8 and 3.2 grams per kilogram of nitrogen for an athlete. I rather, like I do, rounded that to two to three grams. So the answer is, Thou shalt consume between two and three grams of nitrogen per kilogram of body weight. The difference between the two and three is drug use and genetics. You have no drug use. You're on the lower side. If you have shitty genetics, you're on the, or rather, I said that backwards. I apologize. Um, If you have shitty genetics and or shitty drug use, you're on the higher side because you're less efficient. And if you have good genetics and or good drug use, you're on the lower side because you are more efficient. So, as simple as that. Again, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't mean to be overly, you know, sarcastic, but I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how little research people do. If you type anabolic steroid into, like, say, I don't know, Wikipedia, literally in the first paragraph, you will find that the major description is improves nitrogen retention. 
That literally means exactly what it means. For every gram of nitrogen you put in your snout, you retain more of it than the person that's not doing that. Okay? So you are more efficient at utilizing nitrogen. Therefore, if natural athlete eats 200 grams of protein, they have the potential to conserve X amount. If you, the enhanced athlete, eat that same 200 grams of protein, you will conserve more of it because you are more efficient. So strangely, it would seem to most people's kind of childlike logic that drugs make you grow faster, so you need more protein. The reality is you're growing faster because you don't need more protein. You also simultaneously become less catabolic. So not only are you retaining more nutrients per unit eaten, but you're also expelling less because you're having less catabolic breakdown. So it's essentially a double win. And then if you keep looking in the cracks, it's a triple and quadruple win. It's, you know, basically drugs are you know, the magic when it comes to building muscle. But in, a, in, in the context of what one will eat, the more drugs and or the better your genetics, and in many cases, athletes have both of those, the less protein per unit calorie you need to consume. So you have a scale of two to three and you place yourself on that based on your expectations of your genetics and or your drug use. So the example I used is an athlete that I would personally be willing to work with. It has both good genetics and good drug use. So there are 100 kilos. We multiply that by two. We strangely get 200 grams of protein. And anyone who knows anything about nutrition would know that there's four calories per gram of protein. So they're eating 800 daily calories from protein. Rods will then go on um, to explain all the calorie calculations and where it all fits together mm. and why and the, the, the distribution of fats mm. and, and fibers throughout vegetables. And it's all very systematic. And bells and whistles. All the bells and whistles. It's great stuff. Now, also, for those of you who don't know, clearly Brods works exclusively with uh, enhanced athletes. Mm. But those numbers that he did mention at the top there, 1.8 to 3.2 grams of protein per kilo scale weight, um, rounded up to to two and three, they still apply to the natural athlete as yeah, well. Across, yeah, across across um, both uh, both. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you noticed he was looking at me when he <laughs> yeah. said natural. Looked at you when he said enhanced. <laughs> I don't know what is there something you want to tell the listener, Tommy? <clears throat> yeah, very yeah, good. very good. Uh, I think. Um, hey, look, you know, I uh, <clears throat> I am uh, somewhat of a biologist uh, right at the second, Tom, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I agree with what he's saying there, and uh, two to three grams is, uh, is pretty good. Uh, I uh, I do do something similar. As you know, I uh, tend to rip other coaches off and claim it as my own. Yes. So I, too, do two to three grams, but I use that for the other way around. I would use – well, not the other way around, but I would throw that at a, a natural athlete, and um, if I were to uh, – Hypothetically, work with anyone that's enhanced, you know, from a, a hypothetical perspective, I would actually do three to four grams per kg body weight just to be um, different. Yeah. You know, because I think it's important to be different in the industry, yeah. Tom, and yeah. have a point of standard. Now, don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> you know, I don't have an answer. It's just, uh, I think it's cool to eat yeah. that much protein. Well, it's, and, it's the Dubois method. More yeah. is better. Exactly. But my, my vague rationale would be that. Um, Synthesis and breakdown, uh, the relationship between such is 
whether you get hypertrophy over a given period. So if synthesis exceeds breakdown, then we accrue muscle over time. Great. Yep. So assuming that we've done what we need to do in the gym, it's a completely different conversation. But let's assume you've set up a, a suitable uh, signal to elevate muscle protein synthesis, then what you do outside of the gym is going to augment whether we get uh, a higher degree of synthesis than breakdown at the end of the day, and then we accrue muscle. Great. We come back the next week and we're stronger. Excellent. Muscle gets bigger. So the... Um, Breakdown seems to be only able to go to a certain point. So even if you were, you know, doing all the things to increase breakdown, maybe, you know, fasting for extended periods with no protein going in, uh, maybe training fasted, waking up, going doing a hard, hard, you know, couple of hours training at the gym, that's probably not going to do the best for. Uh, from a muscle uh, breakdown perspective. So certain things we do, extended periods fasting arguably uh training fasted uh you know not uh, eating sufficient protein maybe having a really low intake per meal uh, all these things can uh i guess uh exacerbate or in you know potentially not come to the party in regards to um muscle breakdown but even if you were to do all those things mm. you're only going to get it's like you can't get even more and more and more breakdown so you know understand that the body will only go to a certain point, point. of breakdown anyway even yeah. if you did everything to break it down yeah like if you did all those things so um but synthesis is far more plastic so synthesis can elevate far more a, a, a much uh, more radical um elevation can be seen with synthesis and so, synthesis is basically the activity of restructuring and rebuilding and remodeling you know from exactly a, from amino acids into fiber yeah, yeah, yeah. Contractile protein. Contractile so fiber. muscle protein synthesis, myofibular protein synthesis could be mixed protein synthesis, could be like uh, organelles, uh, mitochondria, capillarization, all these things need protein synthesized. Yeah. But that tends to be for a beginner. But generally for you and I, it's going to be the synthesis, repair of the damaged muscle, but also new contractile proteins is ideally what we're looking for. Mm. Um, so that is something that, uh, that can be, for example, if you just eat a meal, uh, with a certain amount of protein, you'll get an elevated muscle protein synthesis. So that is how, you know, when we look to the right, the guys in the studio, twiddle the numbers, Maddie or uh, Ollie or, or, or Joe, how they maintain their muscle mass is due to eating protein and then that elevates synthesis and then they have breakdown and they have tissue turnover and that's how average mm. person is going to maintain It's going on all day. You're walking day, around, yeah. breaking stuff, repairing stuff, exactly. digesting things, exactly. breaking and just turning over hair, skin, nails, Everything. muscle. Everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the uh, the proteins keep functioning optimally. You know, yeah. they, they have the use by date and then there'll be natural turnover. So, uh, but then you throw in a training session. Now, when you eat that meal, you get a much higher elevation in synthesis. Training alone will elevate muscle protein synthesis. Throw in a meal, then you get an even greater elevation in muscle protein synthesis. So you see it being far more plastic and, and responding to certain scenarios. So when you jump on enhancement, then yeah, you are, you know, there was that study, 600 milligrams of test, you know, two groups, they just sat on the couch, smoked ciggies and uh, ate mushrooms and, uh, you know, <laughs> got high and they put on three kilos of, well, they didn't eat mushrooms, smoke ciggies, I don't think. But the point is they did nothing and they gained three kilos of muscle mass uh, over a given period. And the other group, training, eating, natural, they didn't, you know, I think 100 grams, you know, and they didn't do anything, didn't do any training. But somehow, they why? Because synthesis went through the roof. So the, the fact that you're on enhancement is triggering that um, 
that uh, mechanistic target of rapamycin, and um, you are basically signaling synthesis around the clock. So mm. sending the message that well, we got to grow. We got high levels of androgens. We we're anabolic, and well, we got plenty of amino acids as well. We got high protein intake. Let's let's ramp it up. So my thought is, and this is based on discussions I've had with guys that I mentor with, is along the lines of well, if there's ever a scenario where maybe eating that three to four grams of protein could be beneficial. It is in that world where there's enhancement simply because the enhancement is going to drive synthesis at a far more, far more than what it would otherwise, you mm-hmm. know? And um, so that is why in that environment, I do drive more protein because I, th- I think they are the demographic that can actually utilize uh, uh, an even higher amount of protein. And if you... Look back at any of the literature, bodybuilders. What's the the staple? How much protein does the bodybuilder have? You know, back when I back in the day when I was looking at well, protein intake, the pros eat this. Well, it's two two grams per pound of body weight, which is about four grams per kilo thereabouts. Right. Well, that's three to four grams. Yeah. That's yeah. what they've been saying for a very very long time, and they're usually all juiced up. So. Is it somewhere in the middle? Is it? Can you make do with? Well, I, I don't know, but I um err on the side of caution and uh, throw a little more protein at, um, hypothetically, if I were to coach anyone that was enhanced. Mm. So that's my thought on it. So, you know, yeah, am I saying I know anything more than broads? Absolutely not. not. You yeah. know, that's just my perspective with discussions I've had with others. And um, it's not, you know, you don't keep going and add, you know, 10 grams of protein per kilo body weight mm. or anything ridiculous like that. It's just towards the higher end, if calories allow it in that scenario. Yeah, look, I'm always happy to start people as long as they're getting the minimum. So that mm-hmm. 1.6 to 1.8. Um, yeah, and 99% of the time that's going to be enough. There is a, There are circumstances where obviously you can do better with more. For instance, I've got a, a guy who's just started who, um, this is slots right into the demographic of people who could consume large amounts right up towards that 3 to 4 grams yeah. per kilo of body weight. Previously at 95 kilos, well-trained, uh, he's tall. Well, Dark tra- and handsome? No, fair. Fair and handsome. Oh, okay. Fair and handsome, I would say. Right. I was doing Ironmans, had a mm-hmm. 180 deadlift and a 160 right. squat. Trains so hard, yep. trains hard, was 95 kilos at around about 10% body fat. So solid. all very good. Basically chased his career for three years, did no training. He's now at 92 kilos, hasn't touched a weight for three years. Oh, and perfect storm. Perfect storm. So here's an individual that's got all the infrastructure of greater amounts of muscle mass than he once had. Um, mm. Hasn't touched a weight for a while. Put on some fat mass. There's been a shift in body composition, oh, but he hasn't. Easy. He hasn't been in living in the land of surplus. He's actually mm. lost weight. So, you know, he's eating maybe 1,900 a day and and maybe getting 120 grams of protein. Not very yeah. much. Like sometimes he'll just come home late from work and have a soup and go to bed. You know, like it's that scenario. So. Starting. So he's got to be in his bonnet now and he's back into... It, it's all just about to begin. So oh. we've, we've had the conversation, well, this is the minimum. So the 1.6 was like 150 grams. Mm. Um, but so you could extra. go as high as 3 grams and be like 280, mm. 280 grams of protein and mm. potentially do much more. But let's just start training. And I'm banking on the fact that he'll get moving, the appetite mm. will pick up, and that we can really um, escalate calories and particularly mm. through, via protein initially. Mm to a point where then we can probably actually start pulling them back and 
maybe take a more of a Broderick approach over time and say, okay, well, the muscle that you had is back, everything's going well, we can maybe drop the protein back slightly and parlay that energy into more carbohydrates and fuel your performance and whatever yeah, else. Put but in some growth hormone, insulin, and D-bolts. <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. Brods, you yeah. like brods. That's yeah. right, exactly. Interesting, interesting. Look, I exactly. think you should uh, let me coach him and then I will uh, put up before and afters and well, say how an amazing coach I am and say, you know, first time ever training. Yeah. You know, but... You know, truth be told, he was reasonably jacked. Well, I'll get him to where he was, and then I'll pass him on to you, and you can take him to where he's never been. Exactly. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, no, but uh, that's uh, interesting, huh? Different different, uh, ways to skin the cat, I Mm. suppose. And skinning cats is is definitely what our stance is on the podcast. Skin (laughs) every cat. Let every staffy live. Cats be skinned. I quite like cats, man. No, boo, boo, boo. All animals. Blah, 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 blah. Um, But Broad's basically, the rest of that interview, Rawdon, he goes through systematically, through a slideshow, through through the protein. Then he goes through protein sources. Then we go to fats. Then we go to fat sources, fat types. Then we go to carbohydrates, vegetables, starches, fibers, supplements the whole bit and it's all top-down sort of mm. perspective so the listener can look forward to that one yeah and uh, surprisingly detailed for broads like one of the things that because uh, uh, i've worked with broads for a long time and it's it's often it depends mm. well yeah you can't eat that you can eat this it's up to you it's like broads just give me something definitive and it's almost like he's uh he's softened up over the years and he's like all right i'll get I'll give you all the answers. Here it is. They're still goalposts. You've yeah. got to make your own decisions. And he gives you a little bit of a butter zone in each of those uh, uh, different areas of post-it note nutrition. But uh, yeah, it's, it's i got to say, it was pretty comprehensive. Mm. All right, mate. I think that's pretty much enough for us today. But before we leave, have you got something that you're cooking up? Yeah, just come on. Uh, we'll go down to the lab and you can, yeah. you can show me what you're doing. That's something special. What are we going to do, What will it be today? I don't know. All right. Oh, okay. Well, this is exciting, mate. So you've got your Bunsen burner on the yeah. go there. What I've got is... um. Oof. Oh, hold on. That's Sorry. a bit smoky. Yeah, Let's okay. put a little something-something in here. Is this an injectable that you're working on? or a, This is an oil. An Have you oil. heard of okay. uh, testing? Halitestin, yeah, mm. mate. I don't like what's going well, on. Well, now, hold on. If I add a little proviron in here, a little mate, halley in there, and... Uh, you set the alarm off. We've got to get out of here, <laughs> Once again, let's run! <laughs> <laughs>